0: Ready? Our evening began in Peter Sechel's comfortable study in his New York townhouse.
1: Hello, everybody! My name is Jim Shear, and welcome to the official, unofficial Beastie Boys podcast known as the haha. Fresh off one of our most controversial episodes yet, least favorite Beastie Boys songs. Now, I am happy that the Beastie diehards didn't hate on me. They kind of joined along on Twitter and through email and texting. They sent me their least favorite Beastie Boy songs. But uh, across the board, people did take exception with me putting Slow Ride and Three Minute Roll on the list. And I knew they would. I knew the old school Beastie Boy fans wouldn't appreciate that. But, you know, Slow Ride... When you put it up against the other songs on License to Ill, don't you think it's the weakest track on the album? Now, subject matter-wise, people said, well, Fight for Your Right, and Girls Should Have Been on Your List. (sighs) I mean, that's an interesting argument. It would be a great roundtable debate. But Fight for Your Right to Party, I loved it as a kid, in the 90s, I didn't like it because I didn't want that song to define the Beastie Boys. You know, the people that weren't following the Beastie Boys, I would say, listen, there's there's a bunch of other stuff that you should be listening to instead of fight for your right to party. And then girls, yeah, like, that has not aged well. And even if the Beastie Boys were joking when they created it, I'm sure there were a ton of people who were laughing for all the wrong reasons. So I don't know, but I I did like the discussion that happened after the episode. And speaking of people sending me their lists or recommendations on mine, I got a message from Beastie Boys Shots. By the way, this is a must follow on Instagram. In my opinion, this is currently... The best feed on Instagram. Beastie Boys Shots. Who should come on an episode of the Bruhaha, by the way? They took exception with me putting Flowin' Pros and the update on my list to MCA solo tracks. I love MCA too. I'm just saying, these are some of my least favorite Beastie Boy songs. Once again, not songs that I hate, just my least favorite. C.J. Hood, he sent me a list. Let me read that for you right now. <laughs> and I love that he qualifies this list as worst, once again, not least favorite, this is worst, worst Beastie Boys hip-hop tracks. So I don't I don't know where C.J. Hood stands on the instrumentals or the rock tracks, but this is... CJ Hood ranking the worst hip hop tracks. Girls, What Comes Around. That was funny because when I put Three Minute Roll from Paul's Boutique on my list, everyone said, oh, no, 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 no. Three Minute Roll is good, but What Comes Around is trash. And I heard that from multiple people. I kinda like What Comes Around. Got more Louie than Philip Rizzuto. Catchy song. All right, so back to CJ Hood's list. Worst beastie hip-hop tracks. Girls, what comes around. Putting shame in your game. I can understand that. Flowin' Pros, which was number one on my list. Dr. Lee, PhD. I don't don't know if I necessarily think of that as a hip-hop song. It Takes Time to Build. I like that one. That's it. That's all. You can see where he's going. All lifestyles. We got the... It's becoming clear that maybe C.J. Hood, not a huge fan of Two the Five Burrows. And then last on his list, Don't Play No Game That I Can't Win. Don't play no game that I can't win. win, 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 win. I love... Don't Play No Game, that I can't win. I think it's unlike any other Beastie Boys track. And if you listen to a past episode of the Haha, that song actually made my top favorite Beastie Boys songs of all time. Laver 1969 sent me a message. It reads like this. Just listened to your least favorite Beastie Boys song podcast. I agree with four songs. Disagree with Slow Ride. Dramastically. Come, Laver! You're gonna fight me on an instrumental? You feel that strongly about dramatically Different? I kid because I love. Uh, he also disagrees with me on Three Minute Roll and Tadlock's Glasses. No. I, uh, I, I, I can't even start an argument there. Like, I... Yeah, Tadlock's Glasses, totally don't get. Uh, Laver continues to write, I think too many rappers would have been better without the collab. Hmm, interesting. Uh, songs like Picture This and i throw Instant Death in the same category are great when you're in the right mood. Surprise Girls didn't make the list. The only two tracks I ever skipped on License to Ill We're girls and fight for your right to party like I was talking about before. All right, this one is from Tommy Regretti. Tadlocks, two question marks? Come on, Jim. That smooth, yalker verse, that bass. You're crazy for this one. Happy to hear that the pot is back though. Cheers. I'm crazy? How am I crazy? What's so great about Tadlocks glasses? Here's some more love for 3-Minute Roll and more hate for what comes around. Curtis Keith tweets, I can't argue with your list. I would replace 3-Minute Roll with what comes around as my Paul's Boutique stinker. And then finally, I got a tweet from Shadrach at scarfazzy one Great pod, Jim. My list. Only album cuts. And excluding mix-up altogether, if you listen to my list, I included the mix-up. I included all studio albums. Shadrach did not. So at number 10, Shadrach puts Crawl Space. That was on my list. Number nine, that's it, that's all. I think that's it, that's all would have worked better if it had a, a different hook or a different course. And remember the Beastie Boys played that at the Jam Master J Benefit concert in Las Vegas prior to putting out To the Five Burrows? It had a different hook in it, and I think that version is better than the version they put on the album. At number eight on Shadrack's list. Ooh. This this almost gets me slightly angry. Say it. Say it. Are you kidding me? Say it is one of the best tracks on Hot Sauce Committee Part 2. At number seven, Remote Control. Disagree, but I understand. Number six, Picture This. That was on my list. Number five, Song for the Man. I kind of like that, but I see where he's going. At number four, And Me. I like And Me. I think it's a lost BS 2000 track. At number three, another one. Don't play no game that I can't win. Once again, in my opinion, the summer jam of 2011. At number two, Dr. Lee, PhD. I understand that. And at number one on Chad Rack's list, fight for your right to party. And if you listen, and I did this last year for the first time, if you listen to fight for your right to party strictly. As a comedy skit, it kills. All right, so thank you for the messages. Once again, if you listen to an episode of The Brouhaha and you have any comments or opinions, feel free to reach out to me. I'm on social media, at Jim Shear, and you can always email me at beastiepodcast at gmail.com. So on today's episode... I am going to play you an interview that I conducted with Be Real in March of 2020. So I interviewed Be Real early into the quarantine. We talked about Beasties. We had to. Great connection between the Beastie Boys and Cypress Hill. Some of you may remember that Cypress Hill opened for the Beastie Boys during the 1992 Check Your Head Tour. They also did a remix of So What You Want. They performed together on Arsenio Hall. And if you go to a Cypress Hill concert these days, you'll discover that half of the lineup used to be in the Beastie Boys. So we'll talk Beastie, and we will also talk Judgment Night soundtrack. My favorite soundtrack of all time. There are a bunch of Beastie friends. On the album, Run DMC, De La Soul, Cypress Hill, Sonic Youth, Beastie Boys Toured with Helmet, They're on the Album. Terrible movie. Yeah, let me let me provide some context for the youngsters. Because I know we've got some old school peeps that listen to the Bruhaha, but I am happy that some younger Beastie fans also listen to this podcast. So in 1993, a terrible movie came out called Judgment Night. I only saw it once at my college movie theater, and the projector broke five or six times during the movie. That had nothing to do with how bad the movie was. So Everlast is in the movie. Everlast from House of Pain. And I guess the producers pick his brain about the soundtrack. And I actually spoke with Everlast a few years ago about Judgment Night. And he said the genesis of the soundtrack was this song right here the Butch Vig remix of Shamrocks and Shenanigans from House of Pain. (laughs) If you love 90s alternative rock and you love early 90s hip-hop, then you will surely love a fusion of 90s rock and 90s hip-hop. And that was the thought behind the Judgment Night soundtrack. And it's not like this had never been done before. You know, in the 80s, Aerosmith teams up with Run DMC. And then in 91, Public Enemy teams up with Anthrax for Bring the Noise. They should have just tossed that song on this soundtrack album. But maybe it would have been too obvious. Maybe people would have said, Ah, everyone's just copying off of Public Enemy and Anthrax. So anyway, like I said, the concept of the Judgment Night soundtrack, which came out in 1993, you pair together alternative acts of the time with hip-hop acts of the time. You got helmet in House of Pain with just another victim. I built the house, I felt the pain. You victimized, but got no one to blame.
2: Just another victim. you just another victim, kid. Just another victim. You're just another victim, kid. Holy diver, I'm a survivor. Feeling
1: like the hero. Taxi Is is that my favorite song on the soundtrack, or is this? The pairing up of Teenage Fan Club in De La Soul with Fallen. I
2: a mother goose with the eggs that seem to be. Oh,
1: God, this is so good. So I promise, I, I won't turn this into a Judgment Night episode. Because I do have to play you my interview with Be Real. And by the way, Cypress Hill was huge at the time. Everybody wanted to team up with Cypress Hill. They eventually did a track with Sonic Youth. And then Pearl Jam also wanted in. So you can't say no to Pearl Jam in 1993. So they teamed up with Cypress Hill on the song Real Thing, which was labeled as a bonus track. So I I won't go through everything here, but you've got Run DMC and Living Color, Onyx and Biohazard, Slayer and Ice-T. You know what? Maybe I will go through all of them. Faith No More and Booyah Tribe, Mud Honey and Sir Mix-a-Lot, Dinosaur Jr. and Dell the Funky Homo Sapien, and Therapy and Fatal. So here's a question. 1993. A year after, check your head, Beastie Boys are back on the map again. Were they ever asked to be on the Judgment Night soundtrack album? Now, you know that the Beastie Boys are very selective. If they were asked, they probably said no. However, I think they could have said yes, because look at it. Run DMC is on the album. De La Soul. Cypress Hill, House of Pain, Sonic Youth. It's not crazy to think they would have said yes. I also think of another one of my favorite bands at the time, Nirvana, where they asked to be on this album. Now, it seems like such an un-Kurt Cobain thing to do, but on the other hand, it also seems like a very... Kurt Cobain thing to do Especially if they were paired up With the right hip hop act And I would assume that that Right hip hop act Would also have to be a little bit weird But I heard I don't know if it's true Nirvana was asked They said no Because they had done a song Or were doing a song For the Beavis and Butthead Experience album So back to the Beastie Boys Let's play a a little fun game right now. So let's say the Beastie Boys were asked to be on the Judgment Night soundtrack album in 1993. Do they appear as a rock act or do they appear as a hip-hop act? So as a hip-hop act, who plays the rock instrumentation? I thought about this, and I, I think there's really only one answer. I think in 93... If you approached the Beastie Boys about this project, the only band they would have picked, and I might be wrong, but I think that the first one on the top of their list would have been Rage Against the Machine. Because I think it was around this time that the Beastie Boys and Rage Against the Machine were playing one-off benefit concerts together. That'd be a good track, huh? Now, Rage Against the Machine did team up with Tool for a song that never made the album. So then let's flip it. Beastie Boys are the rock band playing the instrumentation for a hip-hop act. I've got three answers, and I think my last one is the best. Beastie Boys and Far Side, Huh? Yeah! That would have been a great song on Judgment Night. Beastie Boys and Biz Marquee. That would have brought a smile to your face, but I think the best answer, and one that kind of happened a year later, Beastie Boys and a Tribe Called Quest. Right? Right? And we we should start a rumor right now that Get It Together from the Beastie Boys featuring Q-Tip was actually a lost track from the Judgment Night soundtrack album. Like, here's how here's how my lie would go. The Beastie Boys team up with Q-Tip. And keep in mind, ill communication comes out in May of 1994. Judgment Night comes out September of 1993. There's a good chance that Get It Together was already in the can by September of 1993. So my fake story goes, and once again, this is just a a total lie, shouldn't even be classified as a conspiracy theory. Beastie Boys turning the track. They missed the deadline by a week. They're like, ah, so close, we're already pushing just another victim and fallen to college radio. No, oh, if, you, if you only came to us two weeks before. then the Beastie Boys were like, that's okay, we'll just put it on our next studio album, which will be massive and which will have us selling out arenas again. And you could make an argument that Get It Together is a straight up hip hop track, so it wouldn't make sense on the Judgment Night soundtrack album. However, I would counter with this. Slayer and Ice-T do a song together. Ice-T also does rock and hip hop, right? He's the front man of Body Count. So you could argue that there is no hip hop presence on Disorder from Slayer in Ice-T if Ice-T is exercising his rock alter ego. So if I was a lawyer, I would argue that that song is precedent for Get It Together to make the Judgment Night soundtrack album. However, even though the Beastie Boys aren't on my favorite soundtrack of all time, there is a tiny, tiny, tiny Beastie connection. Let me break it down for you. 1993, Dinosaur Jr. and Dell the Funky Homo Sapien are promoting the Judgment Night album soundtrack, and they perform the song Missing Link on Arsenio Hall. And if you bring up that video on YouTube, you can look back at the drummer, and if you look real closely, you'll notice that playing drums on the Missing Link From Dell, the Funky Homo Sapien in Dinosaur Jr. is none other than Michael Diamond. There you go, a beastie connection to the Judgment Night soundtrack album, my favorite soundtrack of all time. So with that, let us take a break. And when we come back on the brouhaha, I'm going to play you the interview I conducted with Be Real in March of 2020.
2: I want to take this minute to introduce you to my people. D-A-S-T-I-E A-D-O-O-C-K-F-R-K-E To the D M to the C to the A And it's it's a loss The rhymes that we boss on the topic of lust Mmm, it does go well with the chicken. Oh oh, oh. yeah, dude. You're listening to the Brew Ha Ha.
1: We are back on the brouhaha, I have made you wait long enough. So right now, I'm going to play you my interview with Be Real from Cypress Hill. This originally aired on the Jim Shear Show on Sirius XM Volume, Channel 106, back in March of 2020, right at the beginning of lockdown. Enjoy. (laughs) Enjoy. Welcome back to the Jim Shear Show. Joining me right now, one of the greatest rappers of all time from Cypress Hill, Be Real.
0: Well, thank you. I cannot beat an introduction like that. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you up to these days? Uh, well, you know, just pretty much staying in, um, doing the the advice quarantine here in Southern Cali, you know, um, Keeping everything in house, doing as much as I can from here. And uh, just enjoying the time off under these unfortunate circumstances.
1: I know. But many years ago, a wise rapper once said when the shit goes down, you better be ready.
0: <laughs> so be right? real. Are you ready? Well, I was born ready, I, was, I hit the ground running. i mean you know forever especially you know rappers that came out of the 90s groups a lot of us were into like you know conspiracy theories and things like that and we we read many books and and many things and and um and and all those those things that we were reading about way back then and what it was trying to prep us for in 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 some of these crazy theories because some of them went on to be true some of them went on to be uh you know hoaxes and and uh exaggerations and whatnot but what it did is it made a a generation of people overtly paranoid of what might be to come so the survivalists uh were born from that so you had people stockpiling on you know all sorts of things and you know putting them away for a day for days like this were you stockpiling uh for a long time i did stockpile i stockpiled like you know everything that um you know we believed we needed such as you know weapons and ammo and food non-perishable food and stuff like that um you know as as uh years went by i stopped doing that less but you know, I always had a, a, a prepared mind state because of those things that we read back then, whether they were, you know, real or or, or uh, not so real. Um, Did you stock but, up on hand sanitizer? That, you know, I, I stocked up on enough, but man, that that shit is running out like crazy. It's like you can't find it anywhere right now. It, it's, it's, it's as uh, elusive as toilet paper right now. Now, do you know why everyone's going crazy over the toilet paper? You know, I, I can't understand it. But, you know, I think it's because a lot of people are going to stay in and they don't want to make so many visits, maybe. I don't know. All right.
1: Not to get too personal, but does B-Real use toilet paper or the flushable wipes?
0: <laughs> uh, toilet paper.
1: Okay. Because I'm, I'm stocked up on flushable wipes. So if you need any, you let me know and I'll send you some.
0: Flushable wipes are good, man. Those, those are key.
1: Because some people say they clog up the toilet, but I've got these really thin ones, so I, I think they're okay for the environment.
0: I think if you use them too much, you know, if, if, you're, if you're going to the bathroom, you know, too many times a day, yeah, you, might clog, you <laughs> might clog the pipes. But long story short,
1: you are ready.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: And can we officially say that the shit has gone down?
0: The shit is going down. Okay, yeah. <laughs>
1: Because on the last episode of our show, I put together a Coping with the Quarantine playlist. And one of my songs was Insane in the Brain. And I told everyone that in 1993, I was quarantined for a month because I had mono. And I would watch MTV, and that video was on heavy rotation. And that song, and that song alone, got me through my mono. So I thank you for that.
0: Oh, thank you. (laughs) I'm glad to be of service. You know, I'll tell you, it's funny you say that because... You know, right now, a lot of us are at home and, you know, trying to figure out things to do and, and to keep our, our mind occupied and, you know, to not bored and get cabin fever and, and sort of that sort of stuff. But I'll tell you, you know, people have taken to Instagram like most importantly and, and um, you know, my, my, my partner, well, not my partner, one of my friends. Um D nice, DJ D nice from, from way back from Boogie Down production crew. The other day, you know, he uh or two two, three days ago, he started, you know, doing uh streams from his his apartment building. And you know, just playing music, like old school music, old school soul music, funk music, some hip-hop and some some Latin stuff, and it turned out to be the biggest live stream on Instagram ever. You know, he broke many records. And there was no bells or whistles. He didn't have any special production. Um, he didn't have any guests coming in. He wasn't doing any crazy DJ tricks. He was just playing really good old school music. And, you know, in the last couple of days, he built the stream. He started at 200 people and it quickly, well, not quickly, um, over the course of the couple of days, it rose from 200 people to 200,000. And everybody was loving the music. It was getting everybody by in their day. I mean, he must have mixed for, I'm gonna say, um, the first, the first mix was mix was probably six, seven hours. The next one was eight hours. And it, it brought so many people in the music community in the entertainment community and the in the athletic community get together and regular fans. Everybody was just at this. This thing that, that we were all calling club quarantine. He made the name up and we were all in his club. He's basically playing music to a, to a, a a festival, you know, 200,000 people. That's a European festival. That's like Coachella. So basically he had Coachella jumping off in his living room and it, and it goes to show you, man, music matters. You know, like you said, insane in the brain got you through that month. You know, my man right here is getting us all through, you know, however long this is taking going to take us to get through it but music is definitely you know still a big factor in our lives and and it's a great getaway when we're in situations like this um can i ask you about
1: judgment night yeah sure because i accosted you backstage at a cypress hill concert in october and i asked you a whole bunch of judgment night questions all right but that was off the record this is on the record now i'm ready So the Judgment Night soundtrack is my favorite soundtrack in the history of soundtracks. And I'm thinking about doing a Judgment Night episode every three weeks for the Jim Shear show. Nice. Uh, So the question is, at the time, and, and for those not familiar, it's a soundtrack that came out in 1993, pairing the greatest alternative bands at the time with the best hip hop groups at the time. It could have been a train wreck, but it turned out to be a masterpiece. And everybody wanted to team up with Cypress Hill. And you guys were like, we can't team up with everyone. Otherwise, it's a Cypress Hill album. So who decided that you would team up with both Pearl Jam on one song and Sonic Youth on another?
0: If I remember correctly, um, Happy Walters, who was our, our manager at the time, he was one of the ones spearheading the Judgment Night soundtrack. I, I remember being in his office and throwing a bunch of names on the board, you know, of hip hop acts and and alternative and rock and punk acts, whatever, you know, you want to call them at the time, because there wasn't so many labels back then. You know, we 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 thought, you know, who could we partner up with? I think we wanted to do it with Rage Against the Machine. Ooh. But but something happened there to where, you know, it, it didn't work out. But, you know, we we had played some songs, I mean, uh, played some shows with Pearl Jam and we were kind of cool at that time. And we I mean, we still are. But I'm saying, we, you know, we had sort of like a, a friendship with Stone, Gussard and, and Jeff. Mm-hmm. And and so we thought, you know, well, that that could be a good a good pairing, you know, Pearl Jam and Cypress Hill. We made that happen because we actually we we knew a couple of those guys, obviously. And, you know, we were all pretty excited to work together. Because you told me
1: that for that song, you guys weren't in the studio together. So how how did that work? Did Pearl Jam send you over a track? Did Mug send them a skeleton? And then they put instruments on top of
0: it? So this is why we did two. This is why we did two songs. And we were the only group to to do two songs on that, that soundtrack. Because, one, we wanted to have the Pearl Jam flavor with what cypress hill was doing and, and and what they did sort of didn't lend itself to anything that Muggs was doing at that time in terms of production you know there i don't think there was he felt there was anything that he could have added there that would have made it distinctly hip-hop and rock or whatever the fusion was called at that time so we sort of left that track as was you know they produced it they oh. arranged it they did everything and basically sen and i you know we did the vocals you know we did uh we did the choruses and we did our verses and uh, you know so that was that was our part with uh with pearl jack so they they made, they made it ready made it was fucking awesome you know we were definitely stoked because So there was, there was
1: no direction they just send you this track and they're like go at it cypress hill yeah, and, wow. and we
0: love it. You know, that's sometimes that's, that's the best way here. And before we talk about the
1: next song, my favorite lyric of that one, click click bang bang. Click click bang bang. <laughs> you you hit
0: that at the perfect time, be real. <laughs> it's all timing. <laughs> it's all timely. <timing. laughs> and um so that going into the the, the other song which, you know, I don't know whose idea it was, but, you know, we were all big fans of, of Sonic Youth, you know, and we played with them too. And, uh, so, you know, there was a relationship with them, but we, we weren't really as close to them as we were with, 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 uh, Jeff and, and Stone, uh, in terms of, you know, friendship relationships ago. And, uh, you know, when the thought of us doing something with, with, uh, with sonic youth we we knew that that could be trippy you know but mugs was spearheading the production on that so i think what he did there was he took pieces that they played and he sampled them and he looped them and then he put his drums over them and arranged it like he actually produced the track and he used elements of what they played and then he used the chorus that that uh they put down on the original and then Sendog dog and i came and did our thing over it and uh out of all the years that we've been playing these shows it just now hits me like i don't know why the hell we don't play that song yeah because it's one of the stoniest songs we ever made <laughs> and, it's, and it's with sonic youth no less you know legends Hall of famers if you ask me you know Yeah. So, you, you know what? You just gave me an idea. It's bro, not too so. late. <laughs> it's never too late. <laughs> you know, the thing is getting the instrumental to that. I would probably have to find someone to recreate it. Because back then, um, especially in relation to soundtracks, unless it was going to be a single, you never really made instrumentals of it. You know, yeah. it was just pretty much the track. So I would have to find some very talented musicians to, to come back and... um replay that song if you will re-record it okay and then i can and then i can get it into the live set that actually i'm gonna do that man thanks for the idea
1: you're welcome can i request another song for the live set let me hear get it anyway get it
0: anyway that is a good song
1: So you told me in October that you actually performed Real Thing Live with Pearl Jam at the MTV Live and Loud event at the end of 1993. Is that correct? Yes, sir. So I think the story goes that it was supposed to be Nirvana, Pearl Jam, the breeders in Cypress Hill. Pearl Jam didn't want to share the bill with Nirvana, so they dropped off. So Nirvana was the headliners, but I guess somehow Pearl Jam is still in the house?
0: Yeah, you know, I don't know if the story was like that they didn't want that to, the, that the Pro Jam guys didn't want to go on before Nirvana. and That, that could have been a thing because, I mean, they were both like the shit right at that time that everybody was on to. So, you know, it, was, it, it could have been friendly competition. I don't know. But the Pro Jam guys were there with the exception of Eddie Vedder. Eddie Vedder didn't show up that day, and it didn't allow them – to do the show and so they, know, wait, the rich- they, were,
1: they were planning on doing the show like they were all yeah. there
0: yeah yeah the guys wow. the guys were there you know and uh when it came to go time or or when we we came into maybe uh rehearsals for it or or sound check you know because it ran like a real gig everybody you know got their sound check and whatnot and i think at that point they knew that Eddie wasn't coming because he didn't show up for the sound check, which was important because, you know, they were also doing camera blocking for TV.
1: I didn't realize it was last second like that. I thought it was like a couple days before, but if the whole band's there, then Pearl Jam's ready to go.
0: Yeah. Well, the band was ready to go. Eddie did not show up for, for whatever reason. And a lot of people thought that it was because he didn't want to go on before Nirvana. But who knows? I mean, there was a lot of things going on with him at that time. You know, right. one can never really know. But the, the fact was, is that they were, the other guys were there and ready to go. You know, so when the format got switched to that, it would be us and Nirvana, meaning Cypress Hill and Nirvana, you know, the Pro Jam guys stuck around because, you know, they were like, what, what if we play the song? Would you guys be able <laughs> to play the song? That way, you know, at least we're here. I mean, we might as well play the song, and we're like, hell yeah, we should play the song. So I you mean, you had, knew the lyrics to the song? Oh yeah, we had rehearsed it, and, and and with the thing like that, you know, we were we're very meticulous at that point in our career in terms, and we still are to this day in in terms of how we put down a song. And sometimes we'll go over something like fucking a hundred times. You know, just to make sure we got the best tape. Usually it's the first one that that gets used, but you do all the other ones for safety, right? So when you do something um repetitiously like that, the song is fucking ingrained in your head. You know? <laughs> I mean, if you asked me to play it right now, I'd have to listen to it maybe, you know, five times and then I would have it. It's like jumping on a bike. It it'll trigger that muscle to access uh your memory to it. But like right now off the bat, no, I could not fucking do it. But, um, you know, and that's another thing. I'm always boggled why we never played that song when we were rolling with the real band. You know, that, now I look back. You've made me realize my <laughs> mistake, bro. <laughs> but I'm going to correct that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I'm happy. I'm happy we could be productive today during this quarantine.
0: Yeah, man. This is a productive session right here.
1: Yeah. So let's take a break. When we come back on The Jim Shear Show, more with Be Real from Cypress Hill and, of course, Prophets of Rage. The Jim Shear Show will be right back. Have you always dreamed of being rich? Having nice things? Cars? Limos? All the accoutrements of the wealthy? and you will see how easy it is to earn free money with the Bill Swenson program. And here he is, Bill Swenson, the money man.
0: Money! You are the man. You're the money guy.
2: Money. Money makes you feel good. Money uh, is so underestimated in it our does. society. It uh, is. Of importance. Money is the thing that everyone needs to feel great. Everyone. And to be, uh, be who they are. Yeah. And uh, uh, do you love money? Oh. Do the people in the audience love money? Woo-hoo!
0: We all love money.
2: Everybody wants to know... How can they just make money without doing anything while well, you're out playing golf or swimming or eating cheese or or parachuting? You don't even really. You don't even
0: really need a telephone. You don't even have to have a telephone.
2: Yeah, maybe not. You don't. You probably don't even have to have a telephone. I didn't even think about that method. I mean, is it okay if I use that?
1: The blue. Ha, ha, ha. We are back on the Jim Shear show, still joined by one of my favorite rappers of all time, "Be Real," from Cypress Hill. And I want to talk about DJ. Muggs. Yes, sir. He's not dead.: No, because there's a song. There's a, there's a song that says he is dead, but I think that's sort of like a, a Paul McCartney type of
0: thing. Yeah, you know, um, we're big Beatles fans, man. Um, we we listen to a lot of music aside from hip-hop. At one point, we were definitely purists and whatnot and only listen to hip-hop. But before we got into it, we listened to, to so much different music. And and that's sort of what bonded um, our group is that, you know, we all had the same sort of musical taste and background. Seeing what the Beatles were doing back in, you know, when, when they were at the height and they were being very overtly creative. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was something that inspired us, you know? So in making this album, we wanted to make it like dark psychedelia, you know, give people something to talk about and and make it the trippiest album that, that we ever made. And when Muggs did that, I think he was pulling f- directly from the Beatles there and, and rocking that Muggs is dead thing. <laughs> yeah.
1: So just for some
0: context
1: Uh, On the album Elephants on Acid from Cypress Hill, there is a track called Muggs is Dead. And the only reason anyone might believe it is because DJ Muggs is not currently behind your turntables during live shows.
0: Oh, yeah. It's been a number of years uh, since he hasn't been on the turntables up there. I mean, there'll be occasional shows uh, that he'll come up there with us and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a minute. But, you know, what, what he has been doing is production work for a lot of, you know, underground hip-hop acts and stuff like that. And for a time, he was working with Deontvert. And, um, you know, so he, he had been keeping busy in that sense. And I think, you know, the other thing with, with Muggs is Dead is that it's like a death and a rebirth, right? Because these, these days, he goes by the black goat. You know his 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 whole mentality on production and how shit runs and and uh, what hip hop is, uh, real hip hop is today and stuff like that. I think he's just taking it from a new, fresh perspective. The old mentality is is gone. It's now about this new shit. Where I'm going now with it. Last and week it, on
1: um, last week on Volume, it was Saint Patty's Day, and we deconstructed jump around from house of pain which was produced by dj mugs and you told me in october that it got to house of pain third so you said I think, dj mugs yeah. gave it to funk dubious right first
0: i believe he gave it to, to to funk dubious first i thought i had it first you know because i used to get first picks of everything and then you know someone told me well i don't know i think dubie had it before you did but he you know he he never did anything and mugs is not a patient guy in terms of like <laughs> he gives you a, a slapper like that if he if you're not calling him back excited then he's on to the next and and uh so i believe i got the next one I, I i got it second in line and i told him Hey man you know for some reason i can't there's nowhere i'm going with this like i don't know what it is fucking beat is dope but I, I can't do nothing with it. And you should maybe give it to Everlast. He might, I think he could do something with it. And fortunately, man, I mean, fuck, they made one of the biggest <laughs> hip-hop history right there. Jump around. Jump around. Jump around. I kick myself in the ass, just like I told you back when I talked, talked to you last. I kick myself in the ass every day for not being able to come up with something for <laughs> that fuck. You know, I'm glad that it it went the way that it went because my you know Everlast is one of my best friends in the world. He's like my fucking brother, and it went to someone that that song was in great hands with. And look what he did with it. I mean, to this day, people you know people confuse us all the time. Like they think I wrote it, and they they think I'm him or he's me or whatever the fuck. Well, not not the way we look today, <laughs> but I'm saying. But you, but you know I'm what? Saying, you
1: know, it's not like. Nothing ever happened to Cypress Hill because your next album was like one of the biggest albums in hip hop, Black Sunday. Chock full of hits.
0: Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't too concerned about it. I mean, you know, I, I looked back and thought, you know, what if that was our song and shit like that? But, you know, realistically, that was his song and he, he did a great thing with it. And hell, we play. It, you no, know? I know. We, we tribute him and we tribute mugs and we play that song and people go the fuck off <laughs> like crazy. So it it's great but you know we've all we've all been able to make our mark, you know, like you said when Black Sunday hit shit. I, I don't think any of us thought it was going to do what what it eventually would do for us. And you know, we made a definitive mark with that. I think with the first two albums and even the third, you know, we really stamped our name in the game because most most hip-hop groups couldn't get past the first album and if they got to the second album you know they normally didn't do that great and you know we were able to beat the odds with a lot of our peers out there the odds were stacked against them as well you know not all of us pushed through but enough of us pushed through to make what is called the golden era of hip-hop yes you know and and do you think we'll ever see hip-hop groups again I think you will, but it's just a different dynamic of what a hip hop group is now. You know, um, I think the last hip hop group that that has actually come out and made a mark was um was the was it the Wolfgang? Odd Wolf Future. Pa- Odd Future, yeah. Yeah. Their shit is dope. You know, um but
1: then they all split up.
0: But then they all split up. <laughs> but you know, that's that's sort of the dynamic of a group. It it doesn't happen for all of us. Because realistically, the group dynamic is it's sort of complex, because if if everybody's on an equal level and things get like, uh let's just say you get successful now, you know, you're on a level where people are telling you, hey, you know, you guys, you, you're this, you're that you can go totally do your own shit. The minute one guy buys into that, you know, you're going to have a rift. Unless the other guys understanding and be like, yeah, go do that shit. And then when you're done with that, come back over here and let's knock this out. It's all about communication. If, 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 you know, the guys in any band just come to the table and and sit there and communicate without their middlemen and, (laughs) and cheerleaders in between, (laughs) in between everybody, you know, a conversation can happen. And, you know, because realistically it's, you're a band of brothers.
1: You sound like my wife. Communication is the key. For marriages and for hip hop groups.
0: It is. I mean, listen, if you're a solo artist, you only have to communicate with your manager and your agent and tell them, hey, get this shit right. Or (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? With in a marriage, it's 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 you have to compromise. In a group, you have to compromise if you're in a duo and it's just two of you you got to compromise because you know, there's two of you and and sometimes you're not always going to be on the same page.
1: Speaking of hip hop groups, you said that you and house of pain were tight. So as a youngster, I'm listening to Cypress Hill three temples of boom. And there's a song called strictly hip hop. Oh yeah. And, And there's a line, the house of pain ain't down with us. And I thought, wait, I thought you guys were friends. What happened?
2: House of pain.
0: Well, Everlast and I were always friends, you know, that was something that, that, uh, you know, I guess him and Muggs were going through some stuff at that point and and Muggs threw that in there. And every time we hear it and every time we hear it, we cringe because I mean, you know, those are our brothers, you know, he had like Everlast was in my wedding. I was in his wedding we've been through many adventures together I mean he's one of my brothers one of my best friends to this day so whenever that shit comes up it's (laughs) you know it makes us cringe I mean and they're cool now too I mean they've they've, you know squashed whatever whatever thing they had going on back then
1: I should point out that a handful of years later on Rock Superstar Everlast does a little spoken word interlude it's single don't last very long
0: you know what I'm saying I mean Lucky in this game too. Don't be another cat coming out looking like me, sounding like me next year. I know this.
1: So then I was like, "Oh, okay, so they're, they're friends again."
0: again. <sighs> <sighs> yeah, because that's what families do, man. You know, we, we argue and 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 you know we may disagree for a time, but then we realize how important we are to each other as as friends and family, and how much we care about one another. And and you know they were able to squash their shit and him and I were always good. I mean, you know, we're, we're brothers. I mean, we, we live mirrored lives, Everlast and I, I mean, we, we, we we joke around about it all the time, but our, our paths were very similar growing up and funny how we, we, we ended up, you know, working together and becoming, you know, the the brothers that we are, you know? So the last time I saw you,
1: I asked you some beastie related questions and then my Beastie peep said, "Well, you didn't ask him about this and you didn't ask him about that." So, for my <laughs> my Beastie family, I have to ask you these following questions. All I... right. The so what you want remix? How did that right. come about?
0: Well, the Beasties were were um were very cool with us back then. I mean, they 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 had mad love for us and we had fucking such love for them. I mean, you know, <laughs> we were watching their whole their whole path take place um as fans and then when we got into the game and they embraced us it was just it was surreal to be honest with you you know we we it it was just we felt honored when they reached out and asked mugs to do the remix and then you know mugs had foresight to put send dog and i on the remix with them and they you know and they loved it they they thought it was dope and then we actually made the remix video and came out in it and all that stuff. And when they did Arsenio Hall, they asked us to come on with them. And uh, I mean, all that was just like, and then they took us on tour. They, you know, they took us on this tour. um, Check your head tour, right? Check your head tour with uh, Henry Rollins. And we became (laughs) really good friends with Henry Rollins. Cool as fuck, man. Um, we, we, We really learned a lot from from Henry and, and from the Beasties on that tour and, and I, I think they were pivotal pivotal in, in in our success because they exposed us to to you know fans that maybe didn't know who, the, who Cypress Hill was I mean we may have had like you know big records going on at the time but not everybody knew who we were and uh, you know everybody we wanted <laughs> to know who we were knew the fucking Beastie Boys so you know, them embracing us and bringing us on that tour, it was just, it was special. And we had a fucking ball, I gotta tell you. It was awesome. Because you closed out the show
1: with So What You Want. And at the end of the song, you guys would come out. How do you
0: remember all this, man? This is this my damn, era, man. man.
1: This was the golden yeah. era of music. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and that that was awesome too. And um that was the tour we met Eric Bobo, who who later became a member of our band. He was playing with the Beasties, and he was playing percussion for the Beasties. And he started hanging out with us on that tour, and we brought him on our bus. And you know, we pretty much corrupted him because we were like <laughs> we were partying crazy back then, like we were just madcap. And uh, you know, he was one of us, even though he was playing with, with the Beasties. And Sendog asked him at the end of that tour like hey whenever you're not playing with these guys if we got a gig why don't you come play with us and you know we tried it and it worked and who knew that he would later on become a full member of of our band you know um we sort of stole them from the beasties it was horrible
1: i know i i held that against you for many years too
0: I, I'm sure a lot of I, I'm sure a lot of people did, and I'm sure the Beasties did too. They, I don't think they were happy with us after after all that.
1: Because Bobo was telling me that he just signed with you, and then a week later, the Beastie Boys contacted him for the next tour, and he's like, "Well, I'm on Team Cypress Hill now, so you're a week well, late."
0: What, well, what Bobo was trying to do was um, he was trying to play. He was doing what I what what I would later do with Profits and Cypress is he was pretty much double duty you know when they're on tour he'd be with them when we were on tour he'd be with us and there was very rare times that we had a. The same tour cycle. I mean, we were sometimes we were on the road at the same time and stuff like that. But you know, for for at at the time before we signed him, they took precedent over us. So like you know, there was times we had to play without him. But when he signed with us, we took precedent over them because I mean, now he was a member of our band and stuff like that. And you know, um, but before that happened, Woodstock happened, <laughs> mm-hmm. and 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 um. You know, he was he was on Lollapalooza with, with uh, the Beasties, and we happened to be playing Woodstock at the time they were playing some of these shows, and we asked him, and we probably shouldn't have asked him, we probably should have did it, you know, <laughs> but I think it was the right move to ask him, because I mean, later on, that's sort of what became the thing in him becoming a member of our band, you know, it just, it was... It was one of those things. He played one of the biggest gigs that we ever played, if not the <laughs> biggest. And it it added an element in there that, you know, was not there in our recordings or anything like that in, in the live um, arena. It was he just added so much. So, you know, but and at that time, you know, the Beasties were kind of maybe upset with them that he went off to do this gig. Because he left a note for Mike D under his door, like, hey guys, I'm sorry, but I'm going to do this gig with Cypress. I'll be back. <laughs> and I think he missed <laughs> and I think he missed like two or three gigs because getting out of Woodstock was fucking, you know, a nightmare in itself.
1: Speaking of members of the Beastie Boys, Mixmaster Mike is also your live DJ now.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how did you guys work that? After our last couple tour cycles, maybe I'm gonna say maybe a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, we were uh, planning on slowing down, but we had plans for the following year to like ramp back up. And I wanted to try something different. And I always wanted to do something with Mike, but Mike, you know, was with the beasties and we weren't gonna ask him to try to do double duty cause he was very loyal to them. And, and we knew that that was not a possibility. So, you know, after so many years, After MCA Rest in Peace had passed, you know, that uh, maybe it was time to approach Mike, you know, and say, hey, listen, you know, we know that you guys aren't uh, doing shows at this point right now. Why don't you try doing a few shows with us? And, uh, you know, whenever that turns back on, if that situation ever turns back on, you know, we already know that that takes precedent.
1: Do you think that situation will ever happen again? The Beastie Boys performing live?
0: I think everybody would love if they did, you know, um, I don't know. I can't, I can't say it (laughs) because you know,
1: um, Okay. But let's just, let me stop you for a second. You're be real. You're, you're, you're respected in the game. You've toured with the Beastie Boys. Two former members of the Beastie Boys are in your current band. If the Beastie Boys were to tour live
0: again, how do you think they should do it? Wow. That's a good question. Um, I don't know. Um, I think if they came out, you know, Mike D and and Ad Rock and and Mike with them with a couple extra pieces, I think people would come and see them and and they would sell out shows because people love the Beastie Boys. I mean, they're fucking legends. But would you be okay with just
1: Mike and Adam? Like you wouldn't want another rapper in the mix.
0: Well, you know, they could get another rapper, but. I think people would be so stoked to have just those guys and you just play MCA's verses and people will sing those verses for you. Okay. You know, they could maybe even get a hologram deal going on, but I I think people would just love to see the Beastie Boys. And and I don't think they even need a third guy, you know, to, to take the place of MCA. I think... You just run MCAs versus he's there in spirit. the the the, the crowd are going to be MCA for those shows.
1: Okay, I I don't know if the Beastie Boys are hologram type of guys, but
0: yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like you don't you don't need that. I don't think you need the hologram. I don't think you need a third guy. I think you need Mike D, Ad Rock, Mix Master Mike, in in possibly the band. Mm-hmm. You know, but if not. Those guys will be fine. And you just run MCAs versus. And I'm telling you, the fans will will do MCAs parts easily because they know it front to back. And You don't need that. You know, that's my opinion. But, you know, hey, look, if they wanted to go get a third MC to cover those parts, I'm sure there's a lot of guys that can that would love to go with them. It's just too, who would they have chemistry with? Exactly. Who can, who can bring that vibe? It works that people aren't going to troll because people always will troll the fuck out of you for any little thing. So it's like, especially for something like that, you'd have to have somebody beloved to, um, to come and take that, that third spot.
1: Is it true that back in the day, you, Ad-Rock and Q-Tip, were going to start a group called the Nasal Tongues?
0: That was always a rumor. Um, Did you guys ever do anything? no, we never did anything We you know, we, the three of us never sat down ever and talked about it. I don't know where, where that came from. I thought it was a great idea if, if, if the three of us had done that, you know, um, I think it would have been awesome, but you know, it, it was a great rumor.
1: <laughs> so be real. We're almost out of time. I have to know, is your dispensary still opened?
0: yeah um our dispensaries and and all the other licensed dispensaries are still open you know they they've given us certain protocols and stuff like that to to remain open because they are deeming the cannabis uh industry as an essential business because a lot of people are are medicinal users and uh, they don't take any other over the counter you know prescription drugs so they can't necessarily go to a pharmacy to get cannabis they're allowing any of us that have licenses to be open and to do to do deliveries as well. As long as, you know, we're, we're sanitizing the place every hour and, you know, all of our people are practicing, you know, distancing and stuff like that as they're in the line and we're only letting a few people in at a time, we we, we just got to be responsible about it.
1: Yeah. And that is Dr. Green Thumbs dispensary, right?
0: All right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. We have five actually. We have, uh, one in Los Angeles, one in Silmar, one in Sacramento, one in uh, San Francisco, one in Humboldt County.
1: And before you go, my wife's favorite video on Instagram over the last month was Mr. Rogers listening to Dr. Green Thumb. <laughs> Have you seen yeah. that?
0: Yeah, that's totally <laughs> awesome, man. Do you know who did that? I don't, man. But, you know, hopefully we see more crazy stuff like that because I think right now is the time for content. Content is king in the in this time, especially, like, right now. And finally,
1: before you leave us, do you by chance remember the lyrics to the So What You Want remix?
0: Oh, uh, what is it? I got the big brown boots if you want to get kicked like a rhyme from the heart, first <laughs> the heart, then the mind. There was a time when the blood got lit something and then blew a smoke screen no vizine just a little bit <laughs> of roast cheese and the hot times, times magazine, magazine.
1: <laughs> I like the smoke y'all <laughs> it's still there you're right it's like riding a bicycle
0: yeah you know like I didn't kick it in my voice cause <laughs> I gotta have the music for that but yeah you know it's like riding a bike
1: <laughs> <laughs> be real I appreciate the time Thanks a lot, bro. Thanks
2: for having me. Stay sane during the quarantine. The
0: big when
1: No visine, just a little afro-sheen. In a High Times magazine, I like to smoke, yeah. <laughs> I love, I love that he still remembers the lyrics to that verse. Good times chatting with Be Real <laughs> from Cypress Hill. So that will bring to a close another episode of The Brew Haha. Before we go, I'm sure many of you heard that fashion icon and former Vogue magazine editor Andre Leon Talley passed away at the age of 73. And on AdRock's Instagram feed titled Garbage Feet, he posted a picture of he and Andre Leontali with the caption, it's weird to post something about someone that's not around anymore. I mean, they're not gonna see it, so why do you do it? Well, I'm doing it because I thought Andre Leontali was cool as fuck, and I feel so lucky that I got to be near him, even just for an hour. So Andre Leontali, revered in the fashion world, and if you know nothing about fashion, if you only care about the B-boys, then you know that Andre Leon Talley was shouted out and here's a little something for you off of Hot Sauce Committee Part 2. And remember on the last episode of the Haha, I was talking about getting shouted out in a Beastie Boy song. I mean, if you're shouted out in any Beastie Boys song, it's a lifetime honor. But maybe... If you're a spoiled brat, in the back of your head, you might be thinking, "Man, you know, I, I want to get shouted out on a really good Beastie Boy song." Andre Leon Talley, shout out! Oof. Magnificent. Here's a little something for you—one of my favorite songs off of Hot Sauce Committee Part Two—and Ad Rock just delivers the name with such force. Let's listen to the shout out right now. <laughs> John Sally. Shout to Andre John Sally into Andre Leon tally. You get shouted out right before the course. It's beautiful. So rest in peace to fashion icon Andre Leon Talley. Like I said, that will do it for a- another episode of the Haha! If you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on social media at Jim Shear. And you can always email me at Beastiepodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, my name is Jim Shear, and I will see Yens later. That's
2: it, that's all, that's all. That's all there is so we gonna end it on a
0: one two three note. Are you ready?
2: One, two, one, two, three, we bring the